Our reading today comes from the Gospel of Mark in chapter 8. I'm going to start a few verses before what it says or mentions in your bulletins. And so we'll catch up to the slide. Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi, and on the way he asked his disciples, Who do people say I am? And they answered him, John the Baptist, others Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. Then he asked him, But who do you say I am? And Peter answered him, You are the Messiah. Then he began to teach them that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. He said this all quite openly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. By turning and looking at his, but turning and looking at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are setting your mind not on divine things but on human things. He then called the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. For what will it profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit their life? The word of the Lord. Join me in a prayer. May this word challenge us this morning, rest upon us today, speak to us, reshape our thinking perhaps, just as you speak to us, just as you reshape our thinking. In Christ's name, amen. A couple of years ago, my dad had to give up driving. Slowly but surely, he had to turn in the keys, and it was hard. He did not want to do it. In fact, we all breathed a sigh of relief because for quite some time, we all went into a state of prayer anytime we knew he was going to get behind the wheel. Prayed for everyone in his path, boy. But it took him a while, of course. He finally did it. He hated doing it. My dad loves driving. Doesn't matter where you're going, he has always loved being behind the wheel of a car, something about it, you know. Whenever we'd go on trips, he would be the one that drove us the entire way. My mom never got a chance. She just never had a chance in this world of getting behind the wheel on a trip. He was the one that was driving. And to do it, we'd have to wrestle him to the ground and say, Go, Mom, go. Get in the driver. You know. I remember a trip he and I took a couple of years ago. Really, it's been a few years, about 20 actually, to Colorado. And it was just the two of us. And if we didn't have to stop for 
a rest break or to eat or gas, he would have driven the entire way without stopping. He would have just taken us all the way through, and he did, it was, you know, 15 hours straight. He would have done it. But I got the best of him. When we finished eating dinner, I grabbed the keys real quick. I asked him for the keys and ran out. He shouldn't have given them to me. He ran out and got in the driver's seat, and as he came out to get in on that side, I looked at him and said, I'm not moving (laughs) and he laughed at it but at the same time I know that it actually was hard for him he didn't he didn't he didn't want to let go of it even then he had to give it up I think he liked being behind the wheel because it was one of those things in his life that made him feel like he was in control when it comes to life We're all like that. We like to feel like and believe we are in control. And it's those times in life that challenge us with things that are beyond our control that are the hardest. We like to think we are in control. Oh, you may not be one of those that cares about driving or not. When you're in a car, you may not care. That may not be your thing. But I am willing to bet that you have something in your life that you do that makes you feel like you are in control. I'm also willing to bet that those who know you well can tell you what it is. We each have one. Something that plays out the illusion for us that we're in charge, we like to believe, we're in control. Which is what makes today's reading and that statement from Jesus so problematic for us. If anyone wants to become my followers, let them deny themselves. That doesn't work out too well for a people who like to be in control. It's a problematic statement. Walter Brueggemann calls it a loaded and dangerous saying of Jesus that we quite often misunderstand. So what do you think he means, deny yourself? You might think he means that you're supposed to deny something from yourself, which is what we often do during Lent, right? We give up something for Lent. But what do we do at the end of the Lent quite often at the end of Lent quite often when we succeed at whatever it is? We get to the end and what do we say? Look what I did. What did you do for Lent? I stopped eating this or stopped that. That's what you did. That's what I did. I'm quite sure that that's not really what Jesus is talking about here in denying self. As good as it is to practice giving up something for spiritual exercise. You might also think that, as as some do, that in some way you're supposed to do something that reminds you of your guilt and your low self-worth in the presence of a great big almighty God. There are some that think that, that, that we're supposed to practice our guilt and, and look poorly upon ourselves as a practice. Just can't help but think that that too is not exactly what Jesus meant. 
deny yourself. What did he mean? Well, Walter Brueggemann, too, can, he can help us with this. He goes into some length about this idea of self-denial. And the first thing he says about it is he wants us to understand what it's not. He wants us to understand that this invitation from Jesus is not an invitation to rack up our own guilt and send ourselves into the corner in a frenzy of self, self-loathing. It's not meant to do stuff to loathe ourselves. That's not what it means. And what it means instead, what Jesus is inviting us to do instead, is he is inviting us to come and see that God is the center of our lives, that God is the center of our lives, not us. To deny self, Brueggemann goes on to say, is to simply say this, to realize that I am not a self-starter, not self-sufficient, not self-made. And to act as if I am any of those things leads ultimately to fear and greed and ultimately to violence, to isolation. We're not, that doesn't work because we're not made that way. We're not made to be alone. We're made to be in relationship. So this invitation from Jesus to deny self is in essence to instead welcome God, to see God, come and see God as the center of your life, to embrace a reality in which you're not the one in the driver's seat, no matter how much we like to believe that we are. Now, I think Mark, when he wrote his gospel, knew that all too well, which is why I think he put this reading together in the way that he did. Two things we need to remember when we read this passage today from Mark. And the first is this. The first is, I think he put it, I believe he put it together that way on purpose. It starts off, interestingly enough, with Peter's acknowledgement of Jesus as the Messiah. In other words, Peter is acknowledging the authority that Jesus has. And what does he do in the very next paragraph? He tries to take that authority back. He pulls Jesus aside and rebukes him. Two acts of authority. So he's just acknowledged that Jesus has authority and now he's trying to take that authority back. Why does Mark put those together that way? I think it's to remind us that we think we are in charge and can just step up and take control at any given time. That's what we say. Well, we're just going to go in there and we're going to take charge, you know, because we believe we're in control. It's a big reminder from Mark And Jesus' follow-up statement to deny self is a counter to what Peter has just been doing. No, get behind me. Deny self. Put that part of yourself aside. You're not in the driver's seat. Start trying to listen to the one who actually is. That's the first thing. Second thing is something that 
biblical scholar Lamar Williamson points out, and that's the chapter 8, and particularly our reading, is, as he calls it, the geographical and theological fulcrum of the entire Gospel of Mark. It means the center. Center. It's geographically the center. It's chapter 8. There's 16 chapters in Mark, so there's just as many before as there are after, so it, geographically it's the center. It's the middle. But it's not just the middle geographically, it's the middle theologically. Jesus has, at this point, pretty much finished out his public ministry in Galilee. And as Williamson points out, Jesus is now turning his sights to Jerusalem. And here in this passage is the shift from away from Galilee and towards Jerusalem. In other words, everything that has come before our reading today is all about Jesus speaking and teaching to the crowds in the public sphere. And everything after it is primarily about Jesus now making his way to the cross, which for Mark is the greatest example there is of denying self. Those two things we need to remember. Jesus is inviting us to deny self in that way. Not by letting go, but by welcoming something new. And that's really what denial, self-denial is actually all about. True self-denial is not so much about what you put off, it's about what you bring in. To welcome a life with God is to leave the life that you were once living. It's all about what you take on much more so than it is about what you put off. What goes on in your life that reminds you that you're not in charge, you're not in control? Jesus is inviting us to do those very things. And it's not easy for us because we think we are in control. C.S. Lewis calls it pretending. He says it's like pretending the good kind of pretending. The bad kind of pretending is when you pretend to do something but you're not actually doing it. The good kind of pretending, he says, is like when you are supposed to be friendly right now but you don't feel particularly friendly because you didn't eat your oatmeal or whatever it was and you're just not, you don't feel friendly but you're supposed to be friendly right now because it's, you know, and so what do you do in those moments? You pretend. You put on a friendly face and you act nice and friendly to everyone around you. You pretend that you're something you don't believe you actually are right then. But over time, the more you do that, if you do it long enough, the thing that you're doing actually becomes the reality that is there. If you pretend to be friendly long enough, slowly but surely you'll start to feel friendly. That's the kind of pretending I'm talking about, he says. So imagine what your life looks like when you're not the one in charge. Imagine what you would do if you're not the one in charge. How would you act? How would you behave? And then do those things. If you can do for a moment, pretend that you're not the one in the driver's seat, what does that look like? If you do it long enough, 
Something funny might just happen. Eventually, you might actually believe that it's really true. What happens in your life that allows you to deny that part of yourself that thinks you're in charge and welcome the one who is? Beginning of last year, I started a a practice, something new. I, I go away for two and a half days and I do sermon planning. The, the, the reason I started was practical, to get sermon planning done so that I can get ahead and down the road for, you know, David and everybody to plan around it and know what we're kind of doing unless I change it last minute. They love it when that happens. But to get sermon planning done, and I go off two and a half days, I go all by myself to a friend's place uh, up in Oklahoma. And all by myself, I take books and a calendar and all, you know. But all by myself, and, and it's just me and God and the cows. Now, if you know me at all, you know that spending a long period of time by myself is something that I would not consider fun. This is not something that is fun for me. I'm not good at it. I don't know what to do when I'm by myself. I, I mean, that's not my comfort zone. My comfort zone is people. I, you know, send me with a bunch of people and I'm good. I would rather sit in a room full of people doing nothing than changing the world all by myself. I mean, I just, it just, I, I, people is my realm. So to go off by myself I mean, that is just way out of my league. I mean, I don't know what to do when I'm there, you know. I mean, there's nothing to do. So I am forced to, you know. I don't know how long, if you ever looked at a cow, but there's nothing in there. It's me and cows. There's literally nothing. No thought going on. So I have to do the thinking. I have to, I get all weird when I'm by myself. It's just not me. And it's out of my league but that's why I do it. I started off doing it as a practical thing to finish sermon planning, and I, I get all that done. It's great. But what surprised me, it's, it's become a time of spiritual growth. You ever want to grow spiritually? Do something you're not comfortable doing. I've come back, when I go up there, it forces me to set that part of myself aside that is always running around, accomplishing, getting through the schedule, taking kids here, doing my job, doing this visit, working on the next deal, and this, and having all my meetings, and all of that, and getting all that done. At the end of the day, you know, I'm able to say, well, look what I did today. I'm so in control, you know. It makes me, all that stuff that makes me feel like I'm in control, I go up there and I am absolutely not in control. It forces me to awkwardly welcome God into the center of my life. To deny that part of myself that fools me into thinking that I'm the one in charge. What do you do in your life that welcomes God into the center of it? What do you do in your life that 
yanks you out of the driver's seat and puts you on the other side of the car. Whatever it is, whether it's giving up something for Lynn or taking on a practice that puts you out of your comfort zone, whatever it is, one thing is for sure, that in this life of faith, you will eventually be called upon to take your hands off the wheel, turn in the keys, and let God drive. That, my friends, is the way of Jesus. Amen.